0: to draco's den and i know it's been a while since i've done my standard opening on the show but when i am doing the live shows and since the last several ones have been wrestling and then the oscars one um it's just easier to go with however we decide to open it when i'm doing the recording because in case y'all haven't figured out i don't really like going back and editing yes i usually do an opening but yeah i figured you know Since they've been joint shows and both of us aired on our show, I just haven't done my standard greeting until now. But today's episode is a little different because I'm getting away from wrestling, as I told y'all I would. It is time to get into other more serious, less ranty topics, and I wanted to be a little bit more positive today. So, in case you haven't noticed from the title... This episode is a bit of a celebration of two anniversaries for my books. The 10-year anniversary of The Lost Dragon, uh, which was actually published through Amazon the first time originally, you know, so its most wide distribution and where it's at now, 10 years ago in March. And as I was debating on how to do tribute to that one, today, as I was scrolling through Facebook, I see a notification that it is the one-year anniversary of the last book that I published, which was the uh, poetry book. And I wanted to, in this case, um, talk about both books and celebrate the milestone achievement that is the fact that I have been a published author now for a decade. So, I thought to myself, I wondered how best to honor, you know, my first book, how best to honor the the poetry book. And I reached a bit of a decision. And that decision is very simply that I'm going to talk about both in the show. I'm going to honor both. I'm going to discuss You know what went into the writing of both books? I'm going to discuss, you know, the process. I'm going to give some information, especially on the Lost Dragon, on how things changed um, from the original representation of the book. So we're going to get into some things. So this might also be a fairly long show, but be a little bit different so it'll be less of me having because that's because i'm talking about myself and my writing process and getting back to what makes me happy and then at the end we'll discuss a little bit about where i'm going from here what's coming in the future what books are in the pipeline which y'all can look forward to on that one and we'll also discuss a little bit of the ghost writing and things like that so today's show is focused solely on my writing because I just really wanted a positive show and to celebrate this milestone in my life with everyone who listens. Okay, so let's start speaking, you know, I'm going to go in order with this combo. So we're going to talk about the first book first and the last book last. You know, a little bit of chronological order here. So... For those who maybe haven't been following since the beginning, don't know me personally, whatever, um, my first book is The Lost Dragon, which is available on Amazon. You can get the physical copies from both Amazon and Barnes & Noble and probably a few other places, but as far as those of you that like to read on uh, ebook form, it is only available on Amazon right now, which is not how it started, so we we'll cover that too. Matter of fact, let's cover that first. Um, to be technical, the very first time I attempted to publish The Lost Dragon, and I did publish it, it was actually through a company called Book Baby. And there were a couple of problems here. First off, it cost me money to publish it, as in I had to pay them in addition to any editing and cover design and all that. And the sales weren't exactly great. It's like, yes, they had the, the ability to distribute multiple places and they have updated their models since I used them from what I've seen. because I've done some research on them about a year or two ago. at the time they were basically vanity press. Um, and that was just kind of my first foray and I didn't like it. So I pulled it. Um, and there are free avenues available to me as far as, you know, a digital format that made more sense for me to use. So I first, you know, I I saw or discovered Smashwords because I was involved in writing communities online. So Writers Cafe and all that, you know, I found recommendations for, um, better places to publish. So in March of 2012, I published The Lost Dragon on Amazon. And I also at the time formatted it and published it on smart uh Smashwords, which distributed it everywhere else that ebooks were sold. Now, a key thing one may wonder, well, why did I do it in two different places? So here's the thing: if you're not familiar with Smashwords, you should be. Um, I recommend them because it's a very good avenue for you to get ebooks. Um, they have a lot of free ones. I like the control that they give authors. So if as an author, I want to give someone a free ebook copy of one of my books. I could just give them a coupon code so it still counts as a sale. I don't get any money off it, but then they can, you know, purchase it on Smashwords. Now they couldn't do coupon codes for everywhere else, which would actually have made my life so much easier with all the review copies I've given out over the years. But they distribute to, you know, for the Nook and for iTunes and wherever other ebooks are sold so Kobo and all that shit. Um, which is great. And for years, I, you know, all of my books were up there. Um, and then Amazon had to be done separately because even though they mention Amazon on there, Amazon won't actually let Smashwords distribute to them. At least they did not last I checked. If that has changed recently, someone please let me know so that I can pull off my shit off KDP and go back through Smashwords, which was much easier to manage. Um, but as far as I know, they're still the same. So. Um, this made it so much easier for me to get my book out though, because I need it to be able to get people to review it, you know, blogs and stuff like that. And I need to be able to give them free copies. Well, most blogs know about Smashwords. So if you just like, I can give you this coupon code, you know, go ahead and, and get it from here. And that way I don't have to give a shit which format you need it in. Cause then you can download it in whatever format it helped. And that's how some of my reviews were gotten. I did a lot of programs at the beginning that were, you know, review for review. So I reviewed for an author and they in turn reviewed mine. Um, And I kind of still do similar things. Um, But, you know, that was the first thing. I, You know, I discovered fairly early on after my first misstep that Vanity Press weren't the way to go. I'm going to do all the marketing as I do, regardless if I'm self-publishing. However, paying $200-some just for you to publish the book and still having to go back and do all that marketing and editing and, and formatting everything myself really wasn't worth my damn time. But we got to talk about the story itself. So... As stated, the first book is The Lost Dragon by Draco, spelled the same way as you see it in the podcast, right? And I spent the better part of two years actually writing The Lost Dragon. Now, book number two, I actually wrote and published in six months. But this first book, it took me about two years to write and get it to a point where I actually... Liked it and knew where I was going with it, and I actually still love going back and reading the story. Not to toot my own horn, but toot toot, damn it. Um, so, to give some background on the, on the story for those who aren't as familiar or to refresh some people's memories who haven't read it in a while. The main character of this book is Andreas. He is an ancient Spartan warrior who is also a dragon. He is the son of the black dragon god, a primordial god of specifically black fire, which is kind of an amalgamation of all fires in Enamway, and the nephew of the embodiment of blue fire. Same deal. Um, he is also the grandson of Zeus. Now, the book changed, the book as it is now changed a lot from what it was when I started. When I started this book, um, first off, I have to say this. I accidentally named Andreas after one of my cousins. I was not thinking at the time, oh, I'm going to name this character after my cousin. It's purely coincidence. I just needed a name that seemed like it would fit for a Spartan warrior that would be older but could also be modern. Um, And I'm going to give this bit of a secret away. When I started writing the book, the prologue that you read was not written until the book was halfway done. I did not have that part of his story together yet. I had titled the book, but I didn't really know where I I wasn't set in my direction yet. I don't, unlike many other authors, I do not write from an outline. The only time I've ever written from an outline was in the past three months when I was doing a ghostwriting project for someone. So I was writing from their outline because it's their story. I'm just taking their idea and making it happen. But for myself, I've never written an outline. Um, generally, when I start a story, I will come up with who the main character is. I will come up with, since most of my books are romances, uh, I'll come up with the love interest. I'll come up with a few supporting characters and the basic idea of what I want the story to be about. What do I want you to do? As you've probably noticed, I always deal in the more fantastical. So that means they're always going to be some form of witch, wizard, mage, vampire, fairy, dragon, shifter, something be something fantasy oriented I don't like living in reality like I live in reality every day so when I'm writing I don't want to be in reality like that so when I started this story I came up with Andreas Kazarian did not exist as much as for those of you that have read the story and you know that Andreas and Kazarian are soulmates they were not originally soulmates because Kazarian didn't exist in my head I hadn't formed them yet as a matter of fact I formed Andreas in my head, I had Jarell in my head, and Zarel. I had, I came up with Victor very, fairly early, and I knew the twins, Brandon and Demon, and then I came up with Cassandra O'Dell. Now, when I started this story, I wasn't doing, I wasn't setting out to do a gay romance, so Andreas originally, in my original vision for the story, he was to be paired up with Cassandra. And to better explain this a little bit, at the time, you know, I hadn't read a whole lot of gay literature. And even though I was clearly I was very well out of closet at that point, I was in a whole damn stupid ass relationship at this point. But you know, since the bulk of the romance shits that I read was, you know, male-female, that was how I started this story off. And I originally started this story on Writer's Cafe. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. it's uh, It still exists. It's writerscafe.org. Um, it was just a place where I could post my work. It's kind of similar to, like, Wattapad or whatever. But before, that was a thing. So... was publishing it there chapter by chapter and the good part about you know sites like that is getting feedback on each individual chapter as you go so the first several chapters of the book i really did not change i did not change them pretty much at all um so the chapter where you know chapter one where you open up with andreas hunting a vampire his dad talking to him all of that how he meets cassandra all of that i never changed and some people may wonder, knowing what you know now, Beck, Andreas doesn't end with Cassandra, why I didn't change their first meeting. You know, their first meeting, she very clearly finds Andreas attractive. And you may say, well, if they're not meant to be together, why didn't you kind of edit that out? Well, here's where the little bit of reality does kick in for me. Andreas is a fucking six foot, uh, seven or eight, warrior which means he has a body of a god and he's fine as fuck so and to drive that point home i didn't feel the need to eliminate her initial attraction to him because it's a natural reaction you see somebody that's fine as hell and just because they are not fated for you or they may not be gay or hetero or whatever doesn't mean you don't you know react and, and realize that they're attractive. So. I kept that bit in there. Things evolved as I went down. You know, I was, like I said, it was about halfway through the book by the time I came up with the prologue. Now, when I formed all these characters, I knew that we were going to be gay characters because Brandon and Demon were going to be gay. Like that, I knew that from the start. Um, Although technically, I think it's fair to say they're bisexual. That kind of comes a little bit later. But I knew they were going to like the same sex. And I had a, you know, the Adonis character was also formed early. Kind of as a joke, kind of as a punching bag type of thing, kind of like, because there is a scene that I actually eliminated from the book where Brandon actually knocks Andres the fuck out. Or Adonis the fuck out. I'm sorry. Um, but that didn't work since clearly they were going to go towards the more romantic thing, so I wanted them to have that cattiness that's, you know, Brandon basically looking at Adonis like you're a dick. And I could hit you, but realistically, if I hit you, my fists might go through your chest. I should probably not do that. And that's based on the personality of who Adonis actually is, because he's based off a real person that I know of the same name. And that person was a pretty boy and an arrogant ass. So I kept that basically um, intact. But I removed the fight between them because it no longer made sense. Brandon and Demon would be too strong to be fighting mortals. Even though physically just in case anyone has missed that. Physically, Demon would be stronger than Brandon, but Brandon is still unnaturally strong compared to a human uh, that's only 16 years old. Um, but I kind of knew early on that I was going to pair Brandon and Adonis together. We're not going to talk about the second book right now. But for the first book writing, my process was Brandon and Adonis were supposed to end up together because it was that, you know, that unfortunate trope that I kind of semi-hate that two, you know, two people that extremely, you know, dislike each other actually are attracted to each other. Um, but, like I said, I, I removed that scene. Um... Because it, it just clashed with the scene where you do see Adonis and Brandon's having to save him. Now, I will also say this. When I originally wrote the scene where the rogue wolves attack the scene, the, the school. Uh, let me backtrack a little bit. So to fill in the blanks for those that are less familiar with the story, the series is called The Dragon Hunters. Andreas and anyone descended from Jarrell are considered dragon hunters. As, as a matter of fact, if they're descended from Jarell or Zorel. With the exception of the main dragon gods that accompany them, they're considered dragon hunters. They're dragons, and they hunt things. Um, if they're the direct children of the dragon gods, or you know, they are in some way connected, they hunt. It's a thing. So the thing to remember is Jarrell is the father of everything paranormal in the world, basically with a few exceptions. So he he didn't create demons. He did not create uh, fairies, the Fae. He did not create angels. However, vampires, werewolves, any, any other form of shifter, those are on him. He also did not technically create witchcraft. That goes to the goddess Hecate, who is legitimately Greek goddess of witchcraft. And I just kind of paired them up for the second book, And I had that in my head that they would have a child together. So, yes, the second book was partially plotted out in my head when I was writing this. But he's the father of everything paranormal. However, he has some rules. And if you don't follow those rules, now you're rogue and now you're going to get hunted down. And it's not just the little trifling rules of, like, don't be a dick. No, it's like, you know, his vampires, the ones that serve him loyally, don't actually drink human blood. They only drink from each other. Same with the other shifters. Human blood is taboo. Um, But there's power in blood one way or the other, so that's why there's some that go that route. And there's some different, you know, aspects of creation. So, you know, for the werewolves, since Fenrir does appear in this book, Fenrir is the wolf of legend, the wolf from Norse mythology. I spun... The mythology a little bit so that because the one thing that bothered me about Norse mythology was Loki's children were ostracized from the moment they were born solely because of their appearance and what fate supposedly had in store for them and I feel this is a hole in a lot of mythology it's a hole in even in Greek mythology where Kronos ate his children because he was told one of his sons would overthrow him and the logic never occurred to them to just you know for the Greeks how about I try raising them like functional fucking immortal beings and even if that son surpasses me he won't have the urge to supplant me or kill me because I'm who raised him likewise in Norse mythology I felt that Loki did his children wrong because he wasn't like he wound up staying free after he has them and the kids are captured and You know, his daughter, Hela, is thrown down in hell. His uh, son, uh, Jorgamon gets, you know, the world serpent, gets thrown uh, into the fucking sea. And then Fenrir gets bound in chains. But there's also a key part of that story where the wolf, Fenrir, constantly escapes. And so they finally find a way to hold him until Ragnarok. So I decided to modify that. And to modify that, I chose when he was on the run. One of the times they try to chain him for him to find Jarrell, and Jarrell to have a moment where he kind of swats him down because he's like, "Why is there a big ass wolf in my territory?" And then he is the one that actually initiates, you know, Ragnarok, or kind of empowers that that uh, destiny for them. But he switches it, so instead of the Ragnarok that you all know, Loki's children get to survive because, as far as how I see it, they were innocent. You're not really born evil. Something has to send you that way. So, Finner is the wolf of legend. And, you know, after jerrell saves him, he gives him a human form. He's like, Well, you big ass can't walk around, you know, the mortal world as a big ass wolf. You're too big. Therefore, he gives him the more standard form, which would make more sense anyway, because, you know, his father is a shapeshifter, too. And Jarell adopts him, but he also saves the other two children, and for the record, in case anyone's wondering or missed that part in the books, Loki's daughter, Hela, is subservient to Hades in the underworld. Jormungandr, the serpent, is subservient to Apollo, who likes snakes. Um, and that gets to, you know, keep them around now. At some point, I may actually do a story where you get to meet them. Because I did have a plan at some point to do a book for Fenrir, even though his story's kind of got his happy ending already. And I may revisit that at some point. I haven't, you know, decided completely against it. But then we have the creation of the vampires. Well, I was wondering, like, how can we do that? And I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to play with the idea of Dracula which I did, but I like the idea of there being two parents of the race, you know, at least, and I don't know, the whole, you know, deal with the devil shit doesn't work, so, because while the devil in the form of Lucifer kind of does exist in, in this world, it's not exactly the same as what he is in Christianity, so... Then there's the angels and the demons. So I created another creator goddess who actually created angels. Her daughter is Desdemona, who is actually the mother of all demons, who does, in fact, create that race with Lucifer, who in Greek mythology is technically a god of light. And I just add in the Prince of Darkness because his mother and father are night and darkness, Nix and Erebus. And then I just made him a dick, and you know, kind of playing up where some of the shit comes from that's associated with his name. So, one of Desdemona's children develops a taste for human blood. Why? I don't know. He's a demon. Who fuck cares? Um, and Jarrell basically just outright slaughters him. But when he does so, three of his subjects get caught in the blood. It warps their DNA. Vampires are born. I'm not going to get into a whole scientific explanation, but that's basically the gist of it. As far as dragons, after Jarrell and Zarrell had their initial set of children that formed the other forms of fire and the other, therefore the other dragon gods, after they were formed, Jarrell and Zarel made a ruling because they are equals. By the way, Jarrell is featured more prominently because he has more kids, but. They made a rule that any child of the dragon gods from there on would not be a god. They would be a dragon. And that's where regular dragons are born. Such as Andreas, his sister Victoria, so on and so forth. Now, as I wrote on this story, you know, after I wrote the opening chapter, then I got to um, where I had to introduce the boys. And I, I put a lot of backstory into there. Like, I knew who the twins were going to be. And I knew Andreas did not have kids of his own. And I knew Jarrell was going to be somewhat like Zeus. So he has a whole fucking lot of kids. The only difference between him and Zeus is Jarrell has never been married. Um, so introducing the boys i wanted them to be prodigies they were going to be special i knew they were going to be more than what they started off as but i wanted you know to give them something interesting so even though brandon is named after me literally um and demon is is basically a flip side of me i gave them something that i didn't technically have so i gave them parents that were together. You know, uh, and their mom is just a normal human. Whereas their dad is an interesting anomaly in that he is technically half demon, half dragon. Of course, he basically presents fully as a dragon, but the traits that come from the other parent that's not one of the dragon gods don't go away. So if you want to be technical, pretty much all of them are half breeds. But if their parent mated with another goddess, that means they're technically half god, half dragon. In the case of Victoria and two of her brothers, who are the children of Jarrell and Hecate, and yes, those brothers will eventually get their own story. Um. In the case of the boy, the twins' father, Julian, he is the son of Jarrell and Desdemona. Now, at this point in the writing, when I'm introducing the boys, and I realize that in order for me to introduce them the way that I did, their dad can't be there. Now I, I, I get to throw a little bit of conflict in, and then the villain has taken shape at this point. Kalos. Now, think about that. I did take that name from somebody. I don't give a shit. What are they really going to do? Sue me? Um... No, they're not, because it's not exactly, you know, a trademark name or anything, but I like the name, and I wanted him to be a twisted, spoiled little twat. But he had to have something to make him dangerous, because I understood as I was writing that Andreas would definitely be stronger than virtually everybody else that he would come across who was not a god at this point. So... How could this Weasley little rogue vampire in any way threaten or endanger Andreas, who I have not fully stated, and even by the end of this book, I have not actually fully delved into how strong Andreas is. It's just known that he's the strongest of the dragons, but what that actually means was not explored completely in this book. Just enough for you to understand that he was lethal, just enough to understand that he could do most things that he was asked to do. But, trust me, I hadn't touched the depth of his power yet. So, and then, what would make this a little bit more personal? Well, Kalos kills Julian. But he doesn't do it one-on-one. He's not that powerful. He's smart, though. So he overwhelms him when you can get them alone and then i don't know why I, I thought that i needed a little bit more tragedy for the twins but i did and that was why when you meet them their mother is dying like she's on her last she's on her way out um and also you know I'm another little Interesting tidbit was the apparent unrequited love between Julian, the twin's father, and Vic, the phoenix. Jarrell's direct servant, kind of an adoptive child, but he doesn't, you know, it's kind of a fatherly thing, but kind of not. And, you know, that was a way to explain why only Andreas would know about these boys, Andreas and Jarrell. Now, one thing I did not originally put in there that I wound up adding um, was the conversation that eventually gets had between Victor and Julian, where Jarrell summons Julian's spirit up for a minute to explain things to Vic because... Well, they didn't exactly end on the best of terms. They hadn't spoken for years before Julian died, which is a source of guilt for Vic. Julian was meant to—it was implied, and I hope it was understood—that Julian was special because he was the last child that Jarrell made, and there was something different about him. Where, despite the fact that he was the son of Jarrell, who was brutal as fuck, and Desdemona, the mother of all demons, who was also brutal as fuck, he's completely opposite of the both of them. Unlike Jarrell, he's he's more focused on settling down with one person. While he's fully capable of fighting and defending himself because he was trained to do so like every one of the other children, he was just naturally nicer. Naturally more calm. Had to be, he's completely different from even Andreas, who, while he's a good person, as I will reveal in a future book, is a lot more lethal and brutal than what you may think he is. So, with Julian being the special child and kind of viewed as the favorite, but not in a way that makes the other children jealous. He was favored solely because he was so opposite of what the others, so he wasn't just a favorite of Jarrell himself, he was a favorite of all his siblings. He was the nicer one, the sweeter one, he was... Um, Kind of just something different than what any of the rest of them were. So they all have a soft spot for him. And then he's the baby. He's the youngest. So Julian was uh, comparatively a baby to the others because he's only a couple hundred years old when he died. Whereas Andreas is over 11,000 years old. Victoria is around 5,000 years old. Victor is 20,000 years old, and I know he's not one of the biological children, but still, just to put some numbers in here, like, Julian was the baby baby, compared to all of his other siblings who are much, much older. And they kind of view him as being much, much better than them. Not in the sense of his power, although he has that, but in the sense of who he was as a person. And therefore, his children are somewhat special to all of them as well, because they're a result of a union that julian had that he actually wanted he got what he wanted in the end which was not with victor it wound up being with a woman but it was a woman who gave him exactly what he needed and he has these two kids and he did everything for the kids until you know he died tragically he in an ambush you know no one was able to get there to save him in time there's uh, a lot of vengeance that goes out for that death And then there's the fact that the elders, the creators, the founders of the vampire race are technically missing during this time, which does get addressed in this book. I bring in a lot of characters, and I understood that, but they were very important. I brought in Deidre DeVille. Her husband, Vacker, and her husband are the progenitors of the race. But there is a third who I do not bring in specifically until book four. And that is the most famous one of them all. But the caveat for me with Dracula, because that's who I, you know was the third, Vladimir Dracula, was not actually responsible for the race. He did not actually create any of them. He did not um, naturally birth any of the vampires, nor did he turn anyone to a vampire. Because there, in my world, there are two different ways to be a vampire: either born one. Or you're turned into one, but you can only be turned into one with your Blessing. So the rogues can't create more. Just because they give blood, you know, over to a human does not actually make them a vampire. You have to have the creator of the races permission to turn them or you basically just kind of kill them. You might be able to enthrall them or enslave them or, you know... Make them hunger for it, but you will never be able to turn them. You can do a little bit of healing with it, but you won't be able to turn if Jarrell does not specifically show up and say, All right, you can turn them. This is also true, by the way, of the werewolves, and you cannot turn anyone into a dragon. If Jurell or one of his uh dragon gods did not sire or birth you, you are not a dragon. You must actually, you know, be born into their lineage, but the others, since they were created races by drill, that's his ruling. You you know, it was a way of kind of keeping the population down and more controlled so that he could more easily oversee them. Now that doesn't mean there ain't still a fuck ton of them because there are. But that's, you know, that's how their race tends to work. So, The interesting part, you know, of course, is that in Brandon and Demon's case, they are more hybrid than any of the other children. You know, any of the other characters in the book, they are what they are. Brandon and Demon do not have the ability to shift their form. And I should state, though it's not explicitly stated in the book, um, once powers are unleashed, because that's not always the case with Jarrell's descendants. They pretty much instantly have the ability to transform into a dragon. All of them. Brandon and Demon are the first to be descended from him to not have that ability. And they never get that ability, by the way. They do have an alternate form, but it is not fully dragon because they are specifically part human, part demon, part dragon, and this was done on purpose, which I don't reveal until later books, but I knew the purpose for it already when I wrote this book. So, now that we've gotten all these characters away, let's cycle back. So, Andreas and Cassandra. Originally, they were going to be the couple. But as I wrote... And I'm writing scenes with him, you know, protecting her. He's doing stuff for the boys after their mom has passed. He's, you know, getting cars and, you know, school things are happening. While the domestic life kind of works for Andreas in a sense, it wasn't supposed to be with her. As I, as I was writing, I was like, Mm-mm, this don't fit. This shit don't fit. Why does this not work? And I asked for feedback from my fans and somehow I kind of got to the prologue. I was like, there's something missing here. And and I feel like uh, there has to be a reason that Andres has been alone so long. So I wrote with the prologue as it is now. And I wrote it one time. I did not change a damn thing on that prologue. So the prologue with Kazarian and, you know, them in their last battle and Kazarian dying just before Ares and Athena can get in there and put a stop to everything... I have changed absolutely not one part of that, and I will not. It was perfect when I wrote it, because when I wrote it, I put it up, and everyone loved it. And they're like, okay, now the story is making more sense. And now I had a direction in which to go. Now, when I wrote that, and again, I changed nothing in how I wrote that prologue, but then I started thinking, and at this point, I'm only halfway done with the book. I'm thinking, okay, Cassandra's going to be the reincarnation of Cazarian. And as I kept writing the story, I was like, no, nah, no, nah, that doesn't work. That's not who she is. And then I needed another way with Kalos for him to get an edge over Andres, especially because once he figures out who the hell is after him, he knows he there's, even if he comes with an army, he's not going to be able to take Andreas. He needs backup. He needs incentive. He needs something to fuck with this man and keep him away. And then, so then I was like, okay, well, let's have him somehow get a hold of Kazarian. But how do we do that? Well, there's one goddess in the Greek pantheon, since I mainly deal with the Greeks in this story. There's one goddess that would be ballsy enough to piss off literally any other deity because it's in our nature. And that was the goddess of discord. And... She did have a thing in mythology where she, you know, kind of got a little pissy because nobody liked her. Kind of because of her nature, but whatever. And that is why I brought in Eris to help. And then I thought about it, you know, since Kazarian is dead, only another god would be able to walk into Hades' realm and somehow steal one of his souls and get away before Hades could, you know, obliterate them. And then... So that gives me a way to kind of reunite the star-crossed lovers. And, you know, I did the big rescue and everything, and Andreas makes a mistake. I had to give him a chink in his armor. So the thing is, technically, dragons aren't allowed to kill gods without specific permission. So, and... A god is one of the few entities that could seriously injure a dragon. Now we've got a chink. Now we've got, you know, more to build up. And now I can explore Kazarian's character a little bit. I mean, let's face it, he was a Spartan warrior, so it's not like he would have, you know, just been a prisoner and not wanted to fight, but these are forces that he didn't fully, you know, know existed when he was human, so he wouldn't have known how to fight. And... They also gave the conflict of... You know... When Kalos kidnapped... um, Kazarian... It was... Basic conflict was... Will Andreas... Cave in and give Kalos what he wants... Which is Cassandra by the way... Just to save the soul of his... Actual soulmate. Or would he have to say... Well... I've been miserable by myself all this time. I can't damn the world because my soulmate got captured. And yes, I worked our way around that, and we eventually get to a happily ever after, but the whole thing was they needed Cassandra's blood as what they thought was just a descendant of Apollo to resurrect Kronos. Former king of the gods, father of Zeus, kind of wants to come back and take over. But, caveat, or interesting thing here was, I knew she wasn't ever supposed to just be a normal person or a normal healer. I made her a goddess of healing. Uh, A daughter of Gaia, a servant of Hera, and all of this was Hera's way of getting rid of Eris, who she was fucking sick of. Which is something I could see Hera doing. Um... I added some things here and there too. So um, the scene where Zeus finds out that Nyx is imprisoned and Erebus is dead because jor did it. So he can finally fuck up Hypnos who has put him to sleep while Hera, you know, went and did some things that she was doing in the stories. That was a bit of, slight almost humor but what i could realistically see is he was doing if nix is no longer there to protect the children of her that pissed him off um also something else that changed um while i did want to pair brandon and adonis there was a very brief period where I thought Brandon would actually end up with Victor and Demon would end up with Adonis because Demon would be able to tolerate him better. As we know, I changed that. I changed it very quickly. Didn't didn't say right. Um, Brandon and Adonis made more sense. They had the, the relationship and the bond, you know, sort of. And Demon and Vic wound up... Being a better fit, but have of course they had to wait because Victor is twenty thousand fucking years old, and at this point of this story, Demon is sixteen. Um, so you know there there is a point where Brandon has a conversation, and Demon makes it clear he just doesn't like Vic, but Demon is overprotective of Brandon. So at the time, Brandon just assumes he doesn't like you because you're being nice to me, and he just does like you in reality it's just that there's a certain clash of personalities that winds up working down the road for them um let's see what else changed in this story um i think that pretty much hits everything that i really changed from its original thing when i got towards the end i had to find a way to you know get The happily ever after. I wanted Andres and Kazarian to end up together. Once I'd created Kazarian and I had a vision of him in my head and I'd written him into the story, now I need to find a way to get them together. And as I said, while I, I very briefly considered just making him, you know, Cassandra his reincarnation, obviously I changed that. And then it was time to, you know, fill in some loose ends. And if the whole goal of Hera was to get rid of Eris, it made more sense to have Kazarian replace her, as is the only way that they could bargain to get Andreas and Kazarian back together, which Andreas definitely deserved. And then there is um, one other thing I changed, the way that I killed off Eris. Um, I originally did not kill her. I did not have her killed in the way that I did. Um. Now, I knew that I was going to remove her from power. But... I went back in much later and added the part of the story where Apollo actually kills her. Um, Originally, when I wrote it, I believe that I had um, Andreas do it himself. Or no, no, that's not right. I just had the realm kind of die around her and then she died. Um, I changed that much later. I I changed it after I published it, actually. Um, To make sense of what I knew I was going to do later on, which is pairing Cassandra, whose real name is just her last name, Odell, and Apollo. I wanted to have Apollo settle the fuck down finally. Um, so I did change that. I had Apollo personally kill her the moment everyone left. And it just kind of, it fit a little bit better to make sure that she's dead so that, you know, the readers know she ain't fucking coming back. Um, And, you know, her, Apollo was vengeful in that way. And being that I knew that He would end up with Odell and the whole thing was also a learning lesson. You know, Odell being reincarnated as a mortal was a lesson to him from Hera because, you know, she was protective of what is technically her aunt. (laughs) Um, Because Odell's actual mother is Gaia, who is Hera's grandmother. Therefore, Odell, even though she's servant to Hera and younger than her, Odell is her aunt. Um, But since she's younger, Hera's like, yeah, whatever, fuck. Um, And since Hera's the goddess of marriage, she was not willing to permit Apollo to do to Odell what Zeus had done to her. And that is be a whore. So, that was kind of a a deeper theme, like, in, in me being able to plan out a little bit more. But my original... You know after everyone after Zeus and Drill and Odell pass pun you know uh judgment on her they just leave and let her waste away and Apollo's not patient so that was an addition um the wedding scene um I don't think I actually changed the wedding scene. I think I kept that exactly as it was. Um I did write the vows later. They were I didn't originally have those in there. When I originally published the story on Writers Cafe, that wasn't there. Um and immediately after I finished the story on Writers Cafe, I did remove it because that was when I started, you know, looking into publishing. So I needed to pull it down, and I changed, it, you know, that's when I started making some changes to things to make it flow a little bit better in my head and go with what the series was going to ultimately become. So, that gives you a little bit into my process. So, when I'm writing things like this, I change things as so that it fits the story. For me, my characters take on a life of their own in my head. So, things that I had planned, i.e., Andreas is supposed to end up with Cassandra, don't fucking happen because they're in my head like, no, nah, it doesn't work for me. Andreas is like, nope, I, I got somebody else. And that's that's what I'm supposed to end up with. And that's how Kazarian comes into being. Um, And I knew that Adele and Apollo were going to end up together. I just didn't know how I was actually going to get to it because they weren't the next book. Obviously, the next book was Victoria. But that hopefully gives you a little bit of insight into that and gives you some info you definitely didn't know. And at the point where I wrote this book, I started to plot out the other characters that would appear throughout the series. Some of them were surprises, like um, Phil. uh, Brandon and Donna's not ending up together was still a surprise, ultimately. Um, And, let's see. You know, I'd written Vlad, Dracula in but who he ultimately became got fleshed out when he got his own book um it was hinted at in book four air of uh, mjolnir but who he you know ultimately is at full strength becomes more evident in book six blood monarch um i planned out most of the black dragons as far as the siblings go I planned out all of the dragon gods and they still, you know, they exist. And some of them may eventually one day get their own books too. It just depends on how much they take up residence in my head. But before I move on to the poetry book, I'm going to give an update on the series that The Lost Dragon began and tell you what's coming next. Um, I have already written book seven in this series and book seven will revisit andreas and kazarian i may have mentioned this in a previous show so if i did deal with it um andreas is very old andreas is extremely powerful and andreas has a lot of secrets a lot of he has a long life to do things over and Despite him being perhaps, you know, considered the oldest of the siblings, even though he's technically not. And because there were siblings before him and, you know, for him to kind of, he's the role model. He's the one that trains all of the other siblings. So every other sibling that I introduce in this series would have been trained by Andreas. They would have been taught their father's laws, the consequences of not obeying those laws, how to manage their power, how to fight, how to deal with cravings, all that. Andreas was responsible for the training of all of them because he was already a natural born warrior. So he used skills he had already learned as a mortal warrior combined with what Jarrell taught him in addition with all the powers that he gets inherited. And therefore, he's responsible for training all of them. So I've plotted out all of those characters. And this means that Andreas has been through a lot. I mean, he's over 11,000 years old. He's seen a lot of shit in the world. And he is his father's right-hand man, which means Andreas has done some things that might be a little unsavory. Because, let's face it, Jarell is not exactly a paragon of virtue. He's not meant to be. He's very flawed, just like all the other gods that appear in these stories. And Jarrell's perhaps his biggest flaw is I mean, he's literally the embodiment of fire. What the fuck do you think it is? He's It's his anger. Pissing him off is kind of detrimental. So the next book will be Andreas and Kazarian's book, and it's where Kazarian will finally start to learn what Andreas was really up to while he was dead. And there's a lot. Obviously, he wasn't exactly um, abstinent all 11,000 some years of their separation. No, 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 not at all. But also, we're going to learn what else has Andreas done under his father's orders and how does he feel about what he's done? Also, what has he done that wasn't under his father's orders? But he didn't give a shit. Which, technically, I covered one of them in this book. There is a scene in this book of what Andres does once he comes to stay with his father. And... Let's be real. I mean, that's that's in, in one of the first few chapters of this book. But there's a consequence to everything, especially when Ares shows up afterwards. So I'm going to deal with the fallout of Andreas destroying the original in this world, Athens and Sparta. Not the one that we know now. But the one that would have had to... Because obviously those damn cities didn't exist 11,000 years ago. But in order to make this work the way I wanted it to, they did. In a version. So there's a consequence for that, though. There's a consequence for what he did. Because basically... That is the... Slaughter of a lot of mortals just to piss off their patrons. There's a consequence to that. And because of, you know, that particular action and because of the words that were stated to him by Ares, eventually there was going to come a time where he'd have to pay the cost for this. So, there will be consequences to that in this book. But there will be consequences to other things he's done. There will be, well, a revealing of other things that he's done. And again, some of them are going to be unsavory. Some of them are kind of fucked up. His methods are kind of fucked up. He did what he had to do. He was under orders. But I wanted to further explore Andres because I love him so much but I need to add even more to his character than what was necessary for this first book for him to be, you know, so beloved, we have to show that there is a downside to, you know, following gods blindly, even in this case, if they are his father. And I don't portray any of my gods as exactly being perfect. <laughs> and there's a fucking reason for that. Um, actually, I might have taken that um, now that I'm looking. I think I took that particular scene out. Which I thought I'd left it in. Don't mind me. I had to go back and look. So originally there was a scene in The Lost Dragon that showed that Andreas burned down Athens and Sparta. So I just gave out a spoiler. My bad. Fuck it. Um, Apparently I took that out, and I don't remember taking it out. Let's see. I'm just going to double check that, actually, because I seriously thought I left that fucking scene in there. I thought I left it in as a flashback, but apparently I did not. So originally there was a scene where Ares basically uh, kind of threatens him. And I guess I just wound up moving it from this book into the new book, which hmm, that is surprising to me because sworn I left that in here. But apparently I didn't. So, either way, the next book will be Andreas's book. I was originally going to scrap that book and just move on to Adonis's book. However, in order for Adonis's book to work, I need the end result that I wrote into Andreas's next book. So, that book, as I said, was technically the first draft of it, it is done. It has been edited once. I will be going back and adding some things to it, but. This is going to be the book where I mention other pantheons, because I've only mentioned two thus far in the series. The Greeks and the Norse, and the Norse are dead as fuck. Okay, Ragnarok has already happened, and they are cadaverific in this bitch. Well, not cadaverific. They're basically like living marshmallows being tortured in hell for the most part. With the exception of Balder, who is, in fact, I did keep that part of the myth where he gets to come back afterwards because Jarrell says that he was actually the only decent one among them. He does allow him to return and take over as the sole god of that pantheon. But there are other pantheons I haven't addressed, and I'm going to. I haven't addressed the Babylonian or Sumerian gods. I haven't addressed... The Egyptian gods, I haven't addressed any of those from, you know, Asia or other parts of Europe, and some a lot of them are going to get addressed. What happens to them? Does Andres have anything to do with what happens to them? Maybe. So that is what you have to look forward to in the next book um, for the Dragon Hunters. Okay. And now that, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about the motivation on The Lost Dragon, let's talk about the poetry book I did. I haven't forgotten anything. I pushed past it, my story in poetry. And it has officially been a year since I released this book, but I'm going to give a little bit of a backstory. Now, mind you, when I did the release for this, I did do a show on this, so some of this information may be repeated deal with it. Um, this book was a collection of poems that I wrote and I don't generally write a whole lot of poetry. So it took years to gather this, this many poems. And it's not a very long book. Um, it, um, hmm, I do know page numbers. Oh, there we go. So, um, it's totaled 113 pages give or take um, this one is a, a little harder you know to deal with this one is purely therapeutic for me this is a culmination of a lot of shit, a lot of relationships that failed trauma problems with, you know, family, friends, whatever the fuck I had gone through and I managed to write into a poem, I gathered and put together in this book. And I'm going to be honest with y'all, after I released it, I have not read this fucker since I did the show on it. And I read a couple of the poems on here. um Because these were... This book is kind of a bit of my life story. Me just getting out things that need to be get out. Yes, there are some that are happier. Yes, there are some that are a little bit on the raunchy side because those are parts of my personality. Um, But for me, this was a showcase. It was kind of a chronicle of... My bipolar disorder, honestly. Um, because of my... And the order that I put them in is not the order that I wrote them in. I wound up grouping similar poems together. But I can tell, at least as I read, when they were written. So some of them that are in different parts were written back to back. And my mind can get go it can go to some really really dark places to be quite perfectly honest um and it can go to some lighter places like it's a constant struggle dealing with depression so you know i have a poem in here that speaks on arguably the biggest trauma of my life a lot of this is, you know, relationships. Some of them are friendships. Some of them are romantic relationships. Um, you know, some of the, a lot of them are angry. I was angry. Um, it's a chronicle for me of different times of my life, different levels of pain that I went through the where my mind was you know kind of conflicted about things i speak on tragedy you know that i've dealt with with loved ones that i've lost um there's a number of those and you know some of the poems are the sadder ones you know about loss may be about the loss of just a relationship but others are about actual losses and After I wrote this, and as I looked around, I was like, well, maybe I'll do another poetry book. But here's the problem. I have to go through things. I have to be going through something extreme in order for me to write in the form of poetry. I normally prefer to just escape my bullshit into a fantasy world. This was a large departure for me. All of these poems. Um, In it took years, you know, this is years worth of work, even though it was just a short span of stuff. And I did, I will admit, not all the poems I've ever written were put in this book. Um, and that's not necessarily because I edited anything out. A lot of it is because um, I lost poems. Um, a lot All of my poems were handwritten. I don't sit at my computer and do poetry. I do most of my writing first time around, handwriting it, actually. Um, with novels, it's, you know, it's a little easier to sit at a computer and just start typing, but for poems, I have to handwrite those. Those are were, they were normally in my journal. Well, some of my journals were lost back in North Carolina, so there are a number of poems that I don't remember off the top of my head, so I can't rewrite them, that were in a storage crate left back in North Carolina uh, 11 years ago. And I refuse to talk to my ex just to get access to a storage shed that has the storage bin that has my old writings in it. Fuck that. Small price to pay, but a lot of the the more painful ones made it into this book, um, and there were happy ones. You know there there are because there were periods where I was happy in that dumbass relationship, or at least I thought I was. Um. I put that all together just to put it out as a form of therapy, because it's the only way that I ever see myself telling any of my own story. I'm not going to be the type that writes an autobiography. I don't give a fuck how interesting my life might seem to some people that know me. Um, I don't have the patience to sit down and actually write out my life story. This is as close to an autobiography as you're going to get, because all of these were my emotions, my experiences, you know, what I went through, what I was going through, what I'm aspiring to. I speak on parenthood towards the end, which is so much more of a positive thing for me than, you know, a lot of the other things I talked about. And I'm very proud of this little collection of poems. It was, you know, I put a little bit of everything in this. Um, I did not hold back, you know, I didn't just do happy or just do sad shit, I, you know, this was depression, it was grief, love, lusts. you know, some self-reflection, spirituality, parenthood, all of that, I wanted to, I wrote poems that covered all of those things, and I ended, I think, with, um, you know, I had the plea to Hera, which was spiritual for me, I had a poem called Fatherhood, Um I opened the last section of the book, though, I think, with a promise to my children. And that poem is probably the longest poem I got in here. But it meant a lot for me because raising my boys and my my goddaughter, too, is the one part of my life that I think I'm most proud of other Then managing to write these books and put them out and, you know, continue working on this particular dream of mine for 10 years, which a large portion of why I work so hard is to give another positive example for these kids, which while they're not biologically mine, I'm the one that was raising them. I want to give them that one other thing to look up to and look forward to. And I suppose... I could read a little bit of one or two poems maybe. Um, actually, yeah, yeah. So, because the, the best way to celebrate this would be to read a couple of poems. So I'm gonna give you all a couple just to celebrate. And I'm not even gonna do the depressing ones. So here we go. So after some careful consideration, I decided what I'm going to do is read maybe one poem from each part of the book. Just one, and I'm sort of picking at random, but not really. Um, so the first part was Love and Lust. It's kind of the more obvious part of my personality, for me at least, that, you know, was easiest to delve into. Um. So, let's start this off on a. hmm. ignorant note. So, the first poem I'm gonna give y'all is called The Beast Returns. And I'm gonna read it as I wrote it, as it's in my head. The fuck I look like constantly sitting here stressing. I know what I need, I know what helps me. And best of all, I'm single. I don't need just one source. The beast lay dormant far too long, but now he's stirring, he's hungry, he's angry. It's time for the hunt to begin anew. Just to be clear, the beast isn't hunting for a mate. No, your role, simple hoe. I'm just here for the release. I'm using you for what you can give me. This ain't that serious. No, I don't love you, and I'm not trying to. Your body is just right to sate the lust. In other words, I really just came here to bust. Skip the small talk that's getting on my nerves that's not a part of the foreplay. Your mouth has better uses, so put in some work. Oh, you thought you were special? Cute face, tight waist, you thought you could do what others can't. Nope, I told you what this was. Now let me use your face. Now that we're done, it's time for me to go. What? You didn't think I was serious? Of all the things this beast is, a liar is not one. This was a hit and run. I told y'all the beast was back. I ain't here for the feelings. I'm not trying to soothe you. Set that out and go on about your life. Don't get attached because of the sex. It's been fun, but this isn't an emotional connection. You're here to sate my hunger. Get attached. Getting attached to this will only lead to devastation. I am what the world has made me. I have no apologies for you. The beast is back, and damn, I feel great. Now, I chose this one for a reason. That mentality... Is where i'm at right now i'm not like i said i'm not looking for love i'm not looking for emotional connections and all that i got other things going on that are more of a priority however i am i do like to have fun and i know i tend to go a little bit in excess when i do and that is what it is and i'm comfortable with that part of myself because i only let that part of myself out when i'm single and as i've noted I have been single for seven fucking years. So, and I've been on a dry spell for over a year now. I think it's about time I go out and have a little more fun. That's why I chose that one. and Because that one can kind of apply to multiple points in my life. It's just, I reach a certain point where I've been good or been locked down for a time or whatever. And now it's like, nah, time to go out and do what I do and enjoy myself because I don't have a problem with the idea of enjoying myself. I simply know how to control my urges and limit them to appropriate times. But this spring and this summer is now an appropriate time. So that's why I chose that poem because it actually matches my mood now, even though I know I wrote that poem a solid three years ago. and also it just gives you a bit of an idea of what type of shit you might hear because not everything is going to be happy and everything's going to be sad that one was just ignorant and i enjoyed it so let's move on to the second one okay so moving on to part two and i'm only doing one poem from each so Part two was heartbreak, grief, and letting go. So, pretty self-explanatory. And I'm going to read the last poem from from this section. It's entitled, Farewell. And then I'll explain the motivation, or at least some of it, behind this one. The time has come to say farewell and so long to this complex love, this love that lasted lifetimes, this love that persists in this life. It is time to cut the cord that binds us. I write this farewell not just for you. This is for every version of myself. I feel their pain. I hear their cries and pleas. No, you can't let him go. Our souls are connected. You loved him across lifetimes. He is your soulmate. I hear the voices, I understand their reasoning, but I know my own. I know that love itself never truly dies. I know that in some lives we were happy. I know what keeps us apart in this life, and it is this life that I must live. In this life, I felt love for you even when honor demanded I fight it. I loved you with no expectation or limitation. I loved you enough to stand solely as a friend. I have been a safe haven, sounding board, and a catalyst even when we are apart, that love did not fade. I have watched you here in this life. I see your struggles as your current self clashes with your past and true self. I watch as you made the same mistake over and over. I've seen you ruin yourself in every woman you touch. I see the desperation for approval from society and your birth giver. Your denial of self is a denial of me. I will not be denied. I am a beast of loyalty, fierce and unapologetic. I am a dragon, bold and honorable. I am a witch of unbridled power. My words manifest into reality with a force that surprises even me. I am a lover without a mate and ever seeking. I am divinity and I will not be reduced to less than I am. I say this all to say to you how deeply I love you, but I love myself more. I am more than a friend, a homie, or even a brother. I'm a father, a lover, a husband. I am worthy of all that I am. And because of this, I wrote this final farewell. Now, I'm not gonna drop no names in this one, but this is related to someone who I'm strongly connected to, who denies who he is. In shorts, in layman's terms, this is a closet case this is someone that i have been seen with this is someone that i befriended years ago kind of against my will but whatever this is someone that desires a lot for me but can't willingly say it can't openly say it this is someone that has whenever he comes back into my life we you know we kind of fall into a similar pattern like we're friends. I'm the friend that you can confide in, that you can be honest with. The one that while you're telling other people that, oh, I really love this girl, you're telling me, no, I don't really want to marry this bitch. This person who I will not name because I don't out people. This person has been married one, two, three times now. And that in and of itself is not a problem, and I'm not going to fault anybody for having to get married multiple times, but it's the reasoning behind it. It is the reason that things end that is the problem. It is that inability to be faithful in any consistent way is a fact that I can say, honestly, he was more faithful to me, despite never officially being in a relationship in this lifetime, than he was to any of the three wives that he had, and that's because he doesn't want women. But he's been raised that's you know being gay is wrong right and that poem was written because i'm tired and while being a friend is what i promised and to an extent i always will be we have to be apart I'm not willing to kind of just be in the shadows, that kind of teased, unrequited love thing. You know, I don't want that particular friend to interfere in my next relationship. I don't mean him any harm. He didn't mean me any harm. But when we deal with each other, it's going to be problems. I outrank his wives. He just got married again sometime last year. But I can get you to do things that they can't. That's a problem. We have a very complex relationship. And I recognize that. I recognize the reason that he's in the closet is because of how he was raised. And that fear of coming out. And that fear of... There's a fear that comes along with being your authentic self. And not everybody can overcome that. That being said... I don't really have to sit back and watch it. Now I don't really want a front row seat to the car wreck that is his life. Now, you may question some of the wording, and let's remember, I am spiritual, I, I am a whole witch, I believe in, in reincarnation and things like that, and I know what we are. But I will say this, I understand that just because you're you know, you have a soulmate. And I believe that you have more than one, just because they're your soulmate doesn't mean that you're fated to actually be with them in every lifetime. That poem was my realization that okay, whatever we've had before in the past and previous lifetimes, or in this one, that's done. We have to separate. And there's no hard feelings. It just what's meant to be is meant to be, and this ain't meant to be. And that's where that poem came from. All right, so let's pick one from part three. This part of the book is called self-reflection. And this is stuff that is literally written because I'm sitting and reflecting on my life. It doesn't necessarily cover just one particular circumstance or whatever. It's just part of my self-reflection and having to realize things. So I didn't choose to uh, coordinate too much here. So the poem I chose is called Almost. So often I've said this word, it leaves a bitter taste. Almost had a wife. Almost had a child. Almost had a husband. Almost found the love of my life almost settled down, almost built a family, almost found happiness. But there's a reason for the almost. At least I guess there is. I'm not a god or a prophet. I'm guessing like the rest of you. If there's some grand fate in store for me, I'll be damned if I know what it is. Almost wife and child passed away. Almost husband didn't know what marriage was. Almost love my life wasn't ready for the strength of my emotion. The settled down life with family and happiness doesn't seem to be in the cards. Can almost convince myself to accept that. Almost. I chose that one because this one I flicker back and forth on. Now, yes, I have family. Um, I wrote this poem before I took in any of my kids, except for my goddaughter. I still had her, but I hadn't taken in any of my boys. Um, and I wrote this when I was having a low moment that day. Like. I have been engaged three times now. Um, so I almost had a wife. I almost had a husband. Almost had a biological child. You know, when I wrote that poem, it was just me sitting and thinking about these things that I almost had. In fact, that they haven't. And this was in one of my more depressive states. So obviously, I'm like, I can almost convince myself, you know, that's, and this is true, I can almost convince myself that I really don't want any of the shit that I see everybody else have. But again, it's an almost. And I have those moments here and there. That's not where I'm at right now. Right now, I'm at the first poem. That, that's, that's my whole fucking mindset. But that particular poem, almost, this one that I just read... I slip back into it from time to time where I'm thinking almost this, and there's just a bit of self-reflection. It's not necessarily a pity thing. It's just this is what I almost had going, and I don't have going now. And that is what it is. All right, so the last part of the book, part four, was Inspiration, Spirituality, and Parenthood. So, and it's kind of my favorite section of the book, honestly, but I'm still only reading y'all one. And I feel like I read the first poem, Promise to My Children, when I origin- when I did the show when it originally released, so I'm picking a different one. Um, this one, I'm still related to the kids, so I'm choosing to read the one called Fatherhood. And I'll explain where this one actually came from after I'm done. There's a misconception about being a father. So many assume that we care less. It's said that it's easier for us to leave. I've heard that we can't love our children as much as a mother. If that's the case, then I'm not like most fathers. I made a choice to take on children. I promised that I would be there. I've spent sleepless nights, made appearances at schools. I cooked dinner and gave baths. I helped with homework and played games. I taught right from wrong and instilled discipline. I've been nurturing and patient beyond my own expectations. I'm here and present by choice and moral responsibility. My children are forever, my babies. No matter where life leads us, I am here whether I am tired or sick, down and depressed or filled with joy. I am present. I am consistent. I am a man of my word. I am viewed as Superman, able to beat back all evil. I am the world to my children as they are to me. I am a man. I am their dad. And fatherhood is natural to me. That one I wrote because of a post on Facebook. I have a lot of bitter bitches in my timeline, unfortunately, that unfortunately, made children with somebody that ain't worth the fuck. However, my issue with them is that they downplay the role of the father. Now, understand, I come from a single-parent home. My mother raised me by herself. Like it or not, to some people that might listen to this, My father did not have a direct hand in raising me by his choice. So I understand that you can as a single parent and I've been a single parent myself. That's that's I've done this whole parenting thing myself single. I understand that you can absolutely raise your child on your own. However, The level of bitterness that I see and the particular bitch that provoked me on this one was single, but you were not a single parent. And you may ask, what does that mean? That means very simply this. You are not really a single parent if the other parent is equally responsible for your child just because y'all ain't fucking no more just because y'all not in a relationship together y'all not married or whatever no more does not mean that you are really just a single parent you don't understand the single parent struggles bitch if your child's father is there raising this child financially supporting the child but because he don't want to be with your ass you want to play like oh well i do this all on my own no you don't bitch this particular one was one that I know you, to be to say that you even do half of the care for the child doesn't mean shit. Mm-mm. And I've seen her and a couple of others like, and they kept, they, they want to keep going on and it's, you know, the father's got it easy. They can do this. They can do that. And I'm like, let me explain something. A real man doesn't think in that way. A real man does not just walk away from their fucking responsibilities. Because they're not the one to push the child out. Because your responsibilities don't end because you decide you don't want to be a parent. And to say that we love our children less, that was the part that really got me. Like, men don't love their children as much as women do. The fuck do you... Look. Look here, bit of bitch. Because that, that... And I've seen this argument continue to pop up again you didn't make the best of choices with who you chose to father your child with or you chose somebody that really wasn't relationship material for you or maybe you were the problem because some of some of the, the the people that i see say these things i'm like do you are you sure he's the problem? And if I know their situation, I can honestly say in some of their cases, no, it, the, the problem here and y'all not being together isn't him. It's you. But that don't have shit to do with how well he parents his child. And you can't call him an ain't shit father if you're refusing to allow him access to his child. You also, for one of my dumbass cousins, can't talk shit about your baby daddy th- talking about what he doesn't do when you literally left your child with him so he's actually the full-time parent. You can't play the old, I have an ain't shit baby daddy card when you're the ain't shit mama. I get tired of being disparaged. and, And so often it's like you disparage every man because your baby daddy ain't shit or your daddy wasn't shit. None of us can possibly love our children enough to do what you do i did see a post about it the other day in fact so it's still this poem is still relevant for me i saw a post the other day basically saying that a man could not do by himself what a single mother does as a single father i take fucking offense to that whoever chooses to you know actually be up to their responsibilities and parent a child can relate you dumbass. ass It doesn't have a damn thing to do with whether you're male or female, whether you're the mama or the daddy. Because it's a lot of ain't shit mamas out here. I should know. I dealt with one for over fucking two years with my youngest child. His mama ain't worth a flying fuck. She is not worth mentioning, honestly, in most cases, except in this one. Just because it's more predominantly known that... Certain men ain't shit. Don't mean the child get off easy. And don't imply that just because, you know, you push the child out, that you're the only one obligated to be there. Because I know plenty of women, unfortunately, who miss that fucking memo. They push the baby out, and in the moment they push it out, they're gone. And don't want nothing to do with it. And it's a man that stands there and raises that child. I take offense to the idea that we don't know struggle or that we don't love the same or that we cannot love the same that comes from jaded and bitter-ass people. And again, I didn't have a sterling-ass father in my life, you know, truly carrying his half. He didn't remotely carry his half. But I still understand that not everybody... Not every man is like my father because I'm not like mine. I have some characteristics in common with him, which seems to be a genetic issue, but that doesn't mean that I raise my children like him because I'm raising mine. The same can be said of my little sister's father and some other ancient-ass people that I know. My grandfather, for one. I wrote that poem solely because I'm like, I don't appreciate the implication that a father is less than an actual father, not a sperm donor. I need you bitter motherfuckers to understand there is a difference between someone who's actually a dad and a father versus a biological father who is nothing more than a sperm donor. Now. For those that might argue with me. Well, my baby dad is answer me this does your baby daddy call does he come by and see the child does he try to come by and see the child for some of y'all that are bitter as fuck are you only blocking him from seeing the child because he moved on because if so bitch he's not a bad father you're a bad mother yes i'm distinctly calling out a couple of people right now i'm not naming you because i'm being nice today but it's several people in my timeline that are that type bitter and that's why I wrote what I wrote, and that's why I feel what I feel. Like, dude, I don't know what y'all's example of a father is that just ain't shit and can't love. I'm not that. I guess I'm an alien. Some form of abnormal being because I feel differently towards my kids. The kids that I've been raising, not counting my niece, not, not counting my goddaughter, her mama loves her just fine. But I'm talking about my boys. Um, I think any one of them could probably argue for you that I seem to love them a lot more than their mother does. I'm not trying to get over on my child now that they're older. I'm trying to make sure that they all get where they're supposed to be and where they want to be in life. I'm not trying to charge them for stupid ass shit that I'm, you know, that I'm forcing them to do any- let me do anyway. I don't. You know, when and when they were, you know, the oldest one was living with me. I didn't charge him rent. I didn't take, I didn't touch his money. The only time I ever touched this child's money was when he literally would come hand some cash to me and say, Daddy, can you put this in your lockbox so that I don't spend it? Okay. And when he came back, and said, Daddy, I need that money now. Okay, here you go. I didn't do nothing. All I did in cases like that is. Did you make sure you had money for a bus pass? Because he did have to take the bus sometimes to and from work. Do you have enough to feed yourself when you're at work or when you're out and about? Okay, cool. I didn't have shit else to do with that. His mother, on the other hand, definitely tries to screw him over out of his money at every possible fucking turn. My middle child doesn't even really know his mother. He has faint memories of her and none of them are positive. My youngest child can't stand his mother. And in another month or so, I'll have more kids that'll probably have similar issues with one or both of their parents. So my explanation for this one went on a little bit longer, but that's because this one kind of strikes a nerve with me right now. Now, I will say on the flip side that some of y'all dudes don't, Cho- You'll purposely choose not to understand what goes into parenthood. So, on the post that I saw on Facebook earlier, I, a guy responded with a list of things that he says, Well, if you provide us all these different advantages, we can do what you do too. I'm talking about food stamps, welfare, all that shit. To that, I will counter I don't need all that. And it shouldn't be required for you to need all that for you to do what you see women do. Two people got together, in the case of biological children, two of y'all got together to make this fucking child. You, whether y'all want to say it's an accident, and by the way, it ain't really an accident. It is a, I didn't exactly plan to get pregnant at this point, but the condom broke or we didn't use one. I thought the pull-out method worked. Whatever your dumbass excuse is. they not really an accident because you knew what the fuck had happened when you started having sex. You'd had the birds and bees talk. So, y'all are equally responsible. I need both sides to understand this. Two people come together, make baby, both responsible. Legally, morally, ethically, financially, all that good shit. Emotionally. Equally responsible for the upbringing. So, let's stop implying that one side has it easier than the other because... Again, just because a woman pushed a baby out does not necessarily mean that she's going to stand there and raise it any more than the man will. There are plenty of examples to the contrary. I'm a little sick of being talked down to by women. Like, oh, well, you can't possibly do what I do. Bitch, what do you mean? I can't. The only thing that you can do that I can't do, you can physically birth one. You can carry it for nine months and push it out, but everything else that you do once the baby's in this world, yeah, I I can do, and I can't breastfeed. That's the extent of what you got, sweetie. But as far as working to get money to provide a roof over said child's head, feeding said child, learning their likes and dislikes, teaching them right from wrong, seeing them off the school, being with them when they are sick, taking them to doctor's appointments, Dealing with after school activities, dealing with their attitudes, dealing with all all that shit that you're talking about that you do. Guess what, sweetie? Been there, done that. I'm more than capable of doing it. And so is any man that's actually worth this fucking salt. Stop implying that it can't be done just because you chose somebody who refuses to do it. That's all I'm saying. All right, now, that was the last poem that I'm going to do. I just wanted to give a little bit of that just to... Honor the release. One year ago, I released that poetry book, and, you know, now I gave y'all a little, another little taste of some of the poems that are in there. So um, to wrap things up a little bit, um, I will post links in the description of the podcast for both of these books. So you'll get a link for The Lost Dragon, and you'll get a link for the poetry book. So if you want them, cop them. And by all means, leave me a review. I need all of those. Helps helps the books get out more. Um, as far as what's coming next, as I said, um, the next book in The Dragon Hunters will be Andreas's book. It is called Lost Vengeance. I'm not changing the title. I like the title, so that is what it's going to be. It uh, might be a bit of a rough read for y'all. You can find out a lot of shit. Maybe it'll change how you think about Andreas. Maybe it won't. We'll find out. Um, As far as poetry, I am waiting for inspiration to hit me to add more poems, so I am not going to promise a follow-up poetry book yet, unless I get a sudden burst of inspiration and can write another, I don't know, 60 or so poems. However, there are other writings in the works, so the third book of the covering series is currently being written. Yes, there is a third book in that series. In case you read book two and you know how it ends, which I'm not gonna spoil here. Yes, there will be a book three, probably a book four, and so on until I get tired of fucking writing on the damn series. Um be on the lookout for that. It's also going to be something of a roller coaster ride, but I'm having fun with it um i don't intend to end that series at any point soon so there's that i did as i mentioned earlier i just finished a ghostwriting project which i don't know the title of i don't know when it'll be released all i know is i wrote it and the client was satisfied with it um that being said in the event that you were one of those people that have come up with ideas for a book but you don't really have the patience to sit there and write it that's what ghostwriters are for and I'll post a link in the description for my uh service on fiverr for ghostwriting, so you'll be able to use that to reach out to me in case you are interested in those services let me be clear on something because there's also a link to an editing gig because I do editing for others let me be abundantly clear before you come to me After you see that, do not come to me and ask me for a discount because you know me. Ain't no damn discounts in this bitch. Whatever price I set for those services is the price. There is no, well, I'm your cousin, I'm your brother, sister, auntie, uncle, grandmama, grandpa. I don't give a French fried titty fuck at all. Those prices are non-negotiable because I am already not billing you for these services nearly the marketing rate. I'm mar- I'm billing you what I think would be fair for the time that I'm willing to put into this book or, you know, to this project. So in case you were going to look at it and be like, well, maybe I can negotiate it. No, what you can negotiate with me are the timeframes in which they get done which you will not try to negotiate with me, is my price on the amount of work that I'm doing. I've already said that. And yes, I had to say that because it has been asked of me before. Because some of y'all think because it's on Fiverr or whatever, that that means you're going to pay me $5 and I'm going to edit a fucking 90,000-word manuscript. No, the fuck I'm not. Or that I'm going to write you an 80,000-plus-word novel and you're only going to pay me five, 10, No, my rates are set. I'm not going to state them here because I don't fucking remember off the top of my head, but they are set as what they are on the gig. So I'll be putting those in the description in case you or someone you know needs them, please spread them around. I need more business. I'm trying to make sure that at some point in my life, I will be able to make my entire living from writing and not just kind of as a side thing um i believe that's all that oh no i do have to touch on the journeys stories so um i have mentioned before that there was a book that i kind of fucking hated when i wrote it and i finished it and then i just never did anything with it well that is now on kindle Vella, and i am rewriting it so it is coming out in episodes um I'm going to eventually put the whole thing up i'm still you know going through and making changes to that story to flush it out to be better in my own eyes so by all means i'll add that link as well into the description check that shit out review each of the episodes since it comes out episodes if you know how kendovoa works it's kind of like webtoons and shit like that where you know i release when i release and you buy tokens or whatever in order to unlock the additional episodes so the first 3 episodes which are 3 chapters will be are free that's how amazon has it set up after that and then you have to pay to access the rest i am going i'm using kindle Vella a i wanted to see how well it works for me b i'm also kind of using it to gauge that story and how good it really is so the more reaction I get on it the more likely I am to finish it and actually put it all the way out and yes I will do a physical you know version of it if it does well where it is but if it doesn't do well then I'm gonna assume that y'all hate it as much as I do and I'm just gonna let it sit there writing wise that is all of the updates that I have um as i mentioned within next month or so i will be getting back into fostering so there will be new children so my schedule for recording will likely change at some point and that's what it is but hell i gave y'all like five or six episodes in the past week and a half so um there are more episodes coming though so in additional updates for the podcast itself um After WrestleMania, I've decided I need a break from wrestling. So I do not intend to do any wrestling-related content in the next several episodes. Um, I did this one now. I got a couple of suggestions before, but I need more suggestions on topics that I can discuss. And these can be topics for me to discuss solo or topics that I need to do as a group discussion. Doesn't matter to me. I just want... To do less of the ranting that wrestling brings out of me. And I'm just tired of wrestling at this point. So I would like to, you know, shift back to the stuff that interests me a little bit more at this stage of my life. So I would like to do more shows on writing, maybe do more shows on poetry. Um I would love to do, you know, like interview shows with you know other authors that just need to get their name out there a little bit more. So if that's you by all means, use the contact me thing and get in touch with me, or you know, contact me on my website, especially for that type of stuff, so you know, because the uh, message button on Anchor just allows you to leave me a quick voice message, but if you're, you know, wanting to set up to do a show with me, by all means, use my website DracosDen.com, and you know, use the contact me form and reach out to me that way. Um, But for suggestions, you can leave me a voice message or use the website or social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that Draco's den spelled the same way as podcast. So, I am open to more suggestions, more ideas. Um, I know some uh, some reoccurring ones that I'm definitely going to bring back. So, the Fuckway Chronicles will at some point make their return. Um, I will always do occasional story times when something particularly amusing comes up in my life. Um... But if you got any other topic, and most topics are not off limits to me, I've, but I will say this. I've done one entire show on the Oscars bullshit, and I'm sick of hearing about Will Smith and Chris Rock because both of these motherfuckers make too much damn money for me to give shit anymore. Um, they will both be fine. They'll get the fuck over it. So I'm not doing that show again. I don't want to have no more discussion on that at all. But anything else you know if there's a topic in the lgbt community the black community that y'all want to go over um which one topic that was suggested to me was regarding biphobia from black women towards or you know bisexual men i may delve into that one because that is a bit of a problem in our community and i'm black so i'm gonna talk on black issues um Another topic that was suggested to me already that I kind of like was the trades, uh, going into a trade versus uh, going to college. I want to do that one as a bit of a group discussion now. I need some differing opinions and see where everybody else is, you know, some other people are feeling on that one. But that is a topic that I'm willing to pursue. But any other topics that y'all have, feel free to send my way. Because I am open to suggestions, just not wrestling suggestions. I don't give a shit about AEW, WWE, MLW, Impact Wrestling, NWA. I don't give a fuck. Okay? No more wrestling right now. I'm I'm burnt out. I'm completely burnt on wrestling right now. And no, I'm not intending at this point to review the next pay-per-view or the pay-per-view afterwards from WWE. And I'm damn sure I'm reviewing shit that AEW's got going on. All right? No wrestling. Any other topics, send them to me. Hit because I need them. Because I just, I I want to get back to being more therapeutic with my podcast, so I want to get back to doing shit that's more interesting to me. I'm not saying it has to make me happy, but I can do more than wrestling. So help me out with that one if you can. I will continue to put feelers out on my social media for topic suggestions. Might even start scrolling through Reddit because I've seen some interesting topics come out of Reddit. So we might be doing some discussions on those. All right. Now, that being said, I've already plugged on my social media and all that shit. So I'm just going to go ahead and wrap this up and say this. Thank you for those that have supported both the first book all the way down to the last book. I am basically nine books in and counting at this point. Thank you for that continuous support. Thank you to those that are also there in supporting this podcast because that's why I'm able to keep it going. And overall, my last little bit is advice for everybody. If you have a dream, work on it. If you want to be a writer or, you know, an actor, writer, whatever whatever it is that you're wanting to do, If you take whatever steps you can towards it, move at your own pace. No one says that you have to get everything done in your 20s. You don't have to achieve your dream by the time you're 30. There's no time limit on as long as you're breathing. Also, let's just try not to be assholes. We know what the state of the world is. So let's make some smart decisions. Let's not be assholes to any Russian, Ukrainian, Chinese or whoever the fuck else people right now. Let's just try to be positive. Again, thanks for the support. I will catch y'all on whatever the next show is.